Please remain standing as we uh, look at scripture together. Our scripture reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 48. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers... What more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is God's word. Amen. Let's pray together as we come now to study God's word. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you uh, this morning for your word, and we pray that uh, as we come now to uh, study your word, that you would help us to understand it, to hear the voice of Jesus Christ himself, so that by his Spirit, uh, we would uh, be brought more into line with this remarkable teaching of Jesus. Would you help us to... Uh, hear and understand and believe, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Those of us who follow contemporary culture may know that Iron Man 3 is coming out uh, in May. And Iron Man has a, a particular philosophy of perfect interpersonal relationships. I've seen one of those Iron Man shows. I think it was the first one. They could sort of blend together, so it's hard to tell, but... Uh, Tony Stark, uh, who uh, plays, uh, who is uh, Iron Man, says this, peace means having a bigger stick than the other guy. I, I remember going for a walk uh, once with uh, a fellow who was asking me about how you followed Christ in the secular world. And we were talking about this, and then he said to me, how do you respond to personal attack? thought for a while about that, and I said, love overcomes evil. I meant that uh, while it was right in certain circumstances to stand up for yourself and to respond to unfair criticism, Jesus himself uh, did that at times. Uh, While that is certainly true, the motivating force behind it, if it was to have any chance of being effective, must be genuine concern for the other person's spiritual well-being, that is love. I remember he said to me, well, now I know your technique. 
and then proceeded to spend months launching attack after attack against me, sometimes subtle, sometimes less so, at the end of which, when he had failed to derail me from love, he wondered out loud to me at how I'd survive his bombing blitz. The world never understands Christian love, and sometimes the church misunderstands it too. Uh, We think uh, perhaps uh, that love, uh, if we're a man, perhaps we think uh, love is being effeminate or romantic. We think of love as weakness or passivity. If we uh, understand that somehow in the heart of love there's self-sacrifice, we may, though, think of self-sacrifice in a psychologically demeaning form, perhaps even uh, as a cover for some deep need to be vindicated as Righteous by being attacked by the unrighteous, a kind of martyr fixation. In our culture today, we think of love as the opposite end of the spectrum to truth. Or we think that love and anger cannot coexist, or love and discipline cannot coexist, or love and holiness cannot coexist, or love and hatred of sin cannot coexist. But in fact, love is not easy. It is the most excellent of ways because it is the most difficult path. It is, according to Jesus, the path to being perfect, that is, to being and acting like the Heavenly Father, like God Himself. Now, my friends, aiming for perfection is not the same as uh, trying to be perfectionist. One person once said, the desire for everything to be perfect spells the word paralysis. Edwin Bliss said, the pursuit of excellence is gratifying and healthy. The pursuit of perfection is frustrating, neurotic, and a terrible waste of time. Um, Salvador Dali, the surrealist painter, who said, have no fear of perfection. You will never reach it. Now, this sort of neurotic pursuit of perfectionism is not what Jesus has in mind. It reminds me of a story of a person who found uh, that his neighbor was in serious counseling for drug addiction and remarked to a friend, look at his lawn. It's always so perfect. How can a man with a lawn like that be in trouble? It's not the search for perfectionism that uh, Tolstoy and Anna Karina said uh, meant that we will never be content. Now, this word for perfection here has the sense of completeness or wholeness. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus still doesn't have in mind moral sinlessness or flawlessness. No, Jesus says this perfection characterizes God. It's perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. But this perfection is the wholeness of love. Turn with me uh, to another passage in the Bible that reflects upon this theme. At 1 Corinthians 13. If you've got your Bible open, I hope you do. Turn with me then to 1 Corinthians 13. It is uh, Paul's famous rap on love. 1 Corinthians 13. Now, what does he say there? Love never ends. Prophecies, they'll cease. Tongues, they will stop. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8. Knowledge, that will go at some point or other. We know in part, we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, The imperfect disappears. I was a child. I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. Became a man. 
Put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor fraction. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully as fully known. Now what is this perfection? These three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these, the excellent way, is love. So when our culture derides love as weak, it's revealing our culture's immaturity. And when churches like the Corinthian church promote gifts above love, they're exposing that they are rather juvenile. Love is following the most excellent of ways. It is uh, the path to being perfect like the Heavenly Father is perfect. Now, I want you to see, my friends, that this is particularly important in secular culture today. For at the time when Jesus was speaking these most profound words in the Sermon on the Mount, God's people were living in a country under foreign occupation, under Roman rule. And all the examples here of interacting with the enemy or the evil person, all drawn from this experience of interacting with those who opposed them in this situation. The examples here of going the extra mile, the slap across the cheek are all probably drawn from the experience of living under control of a foreign power, taking advantage of a religious underclass. Jesus is speaking to the people in that situation, applying the truth, his truth, how to behave then to his disciples when they will be in a culture that is perhaps not always friendly their Christian values. How do you live in such a situation? Are you passive? Now, the Pharisees were saying, um, well, the right way to do it is, uh, look, you're free to hate the enemy. Jesus comes with a better way, a higher way. This is the whole point of uh, the section from verse 20 through to verse 48. Verse 20, he says, uh, I, I'm going to teach you a higher righteousness, one that will exceed the Pharisees. And now he brings it home. What is that higher righteousness? What is that perfect way? It is God-like love. So how do you live in a society that's not always friendly towards you, whether at work, not always friendly towards your Christian values in the workplace, at home. Perhaps you're living with someone who is not a Christian that is not really friendly to your Christian values or at school. How do you do that? Well, Jesus here teaches us that it's not revenge. It's beyond that. It's beyond retaliation. And it is love. And so let's look at the first section here, which is uh, not just a resistance, not retaliation, not revenge, but beyond retaliation. This is verses 38 to 42. Eye for an eye, you've heard that it was said, tooth for a tooth. Now that law was intended for judicial process used to excuse revenge by the Pharisees in personal matters. They'd extended it from the judicial realm to the personal realm to deal with the sense of oppression, to give them an excuse to retaliate. So a law intended to ensure justice done, so the cycle of revenge and retaliation was broken by justice being seen to be done and appropriately be done, was twisted to allow revenge in personal matters of a personal insult by the Roman occupying forces. So here it was, God's people designed to be a light on the hill to the Gentiles. God had brought the Gentiles right to them, but they weren't being a light on the hill. They were being a pain in the neck to the Romans. And so the famous turn the other cheek response is 
is uh, dealing with a particular deliberate insult, a slap across the face by the back of a hand. It's a challenge to combat, like throwing down a gauntlet. And of course, it's still a personal insult today. Someone slaps you across the face. And it was perhaps used then to provoke a response by these occupying forces that were inimical to the, to the values, the spiritual values of God's people. In fact, the going the extra mile we know was this. Uh, the historian Josephus uh, describes how uh, Roman soldiers had the ability to, to force someone to carry their bags one mile. And Jesus says, well, if that happens, go the extra mile because you're no longer a victim now if you do that you are taking the path of victory. It's like if someone comes up to you and says, give me five push-ups. You get down and you give him ten, and you get up and you smile. Your identity is maintained. And so Jesus says, give to the one who asks. Now that is not, as Augustine helpfully showed us, Jesus does not say, give whatever someone asks, but give to whoever asks, not whatever they ask. So it doesn't mean that if someone asks for a dollar, you have to give them a dollar. It might mean you discern what they really need as a meal or training. Uh, So the old saying, if you just give someone a fish, they're no longer hungry for one meal. But if you train them how to fish, they can look after themselves and no longer hungry throughout their lives. You train them. The felt need, you meet with the real need, ultimately, of course, with the gospel. So Jesus is not saying we have to be naive and and allow ourselves to be swindled or scammed. Jesus is not referring to nation states in their interaction with each other, one country against another, but personal interactions at an individual one-to-one level. And so Gandhi, his interpretation of Jesus here, uh, it seems to me, was wrong He thought that it meant that nations could not defend themselves. It never talks about nations here. It's one-to-one interaction, personal interaction. Tolstoy similarly, it seems to me, misunderstood Jesus when he said that this meant that we couldn't have policemen in our society, for therefore they would be resisting uh, evil people. But again, that's nowhere taught here. It's about the personal interaction beyond revenge, beyond retaliation. So would you notice that when uh, Jesus doesn't say that when you're asked to go one mile, go one mile. Or if someone hits you on the cheek, just let him. Or uh, just let him have a tunic. No, it's beyond that, isn't it? Go the extra mile. Turn the other cheek. Let him have your cloak as well. Beyond retaliation. It rather reminds me of the, the story, of the, uh, the funny story of the Irish champion boxer who became an evangelist. One time he was in an evangelistic meeting and someone came up to him to challenge him because he knew that in his previous life he'd been a rather uh, degenerate champion boxer and so he came up to him to challenge his uh, powers and this man hit the champion boxer turned evangelist very hard on the side of the cheek and the champion boxer very slowly turned the other cheek. The man hit him again on the other cheek And the champion boxer who'd become an evangelist then intoned, Our Lord has given us no other instruction. Wham! (laughs) (laughs) Now, we're not to dilute Jesus' strong medicine. 
Uh, Spurgeon said, we are to be as the anvil when bad, man, uh, bad men are the hammers. Okay. But as John Stott uh, remarks, it's one thing to be an anvil, it's another to be a doormat. So Jesus is not encouraging us to be pushovers. He's, he, we want to go beyond that, take the higher road. Martin Luther put it like this, there is an anger of love, one that wishes no one any evil, one that is friendly to the person, but hostile to the sin. Now, my friends, will you notice how different this is from Islam? If Muhammad is insulted, then there is violence. And, of course, what does that betray? It betrays deep insecurity about whether really that's the truth. For instance, look at it like this. If you're a supporter of the Chicago Bulls and someone comes up to you and says, Michael Jordan was never a very good basketball player, will you feel insulted? Will you feel threatened? You'll just think that person's a little bit insane. Of course he was a great basketball player. So many Christians are secure in their faith. We turn the other cheek. We go the extra mile. We give. You can see this, one way to see this is in church history. The Puritans, of course, the great Puritan movement uh, had many strengths, some weaknesses, but many strengths, influenced uh, Christianity all around the world and particularly in America. The Puritans, Puritanism was originally an insult. To call someone a Puritan was an insult. Well, they took it upon themselves and said, as it were, in that movement, well, actually, yes, okay, we are going to be pure. They took an insult as a badge of honor. They went the extra mile. Now, today, it's unlikely that we will be actually hit across the cheek by a culture that uh, is not friendly to Christian values. Our attacks are more likely to be verbal. Someone might say, for instance, to you at school, you're just a Bible thumper. Uh, You know, Bible basher, you're a Bible thumper. What do you do with that? Well, you don't retaliate. You don't try and uh, uh, beat the other person down. You don't take revenge. Maybe you make a T-shirt with Bible thumper written on it and wear it the next day. Someone says to you, uh, those Christians, uh, you're just a bunch of intolerant people. Uh, What do you say? You go the extra mile. You say, look, I will tolerate you in your view. You might add, uh, you might find it rather different if you'd said the same thing to uh, in Saudi Arabia about the dominant religion there. Someone says to Christians, look, you're, you're just a bunch of unscientific people. You might make the point that uh, modern science was invented within a Christian worldview and Isaac Newton wrote more commentaries on the Bible than books on physics. Homophobic, how do you respond if someone says that, a very common accusation against Bible-believing Christians today, how do you respond? You go the extra mile. You say, look, we are all sexual sinners. That's why uh, you and I, we both need a Savior. So you go the extra mile. Not just non-retaliation, not just not revenge, but beyond retaliation, and certainly not like the crazy saints who uh, Luther recorded who refused to resist the lice in his bed. It's beyond retaliation, it's love, not merely verbal quips, quick thinking and verbal articulation of such quick thinking. It's beyond retaliation, it's love like God. Beyond retaliation is love. So look down with me then at verses 43 to 48 where Jesus talks about that. And again, he quotes uh, what they've been taught. Remember, these people didn't have um, the original language anymore, many of them. They could only uh, get it from hearsay. 
like medieval Christians who only had the Bible, as it were, in Latin. And so they were just getting it by hearsay. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Well, hate your enemy is a, a gloss, an interpretive gloss. You'll never find that in the Bible. And the Pharisees put it in there because uh, they wanted to find a way to interact with their opponents, the opponents of God's people. You've heard it was, say, it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, now Jesus is speaking, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of the heavenly Father, your Father in heaven. Now again, hate your enemy is nowhere found in the Bible. It's an interpretive gloss to love your neighbor because they were looking for a reason to oppose the opponents of God's people and their context, their time, when they're under the thumb of the Roman occupiers. Perhaps they thought of examples in the Bible of God's people attacking God's enemies as an excuse for their interpretive um, sleight of hand. But love for neighbor does not mean loving those who are neighborly towards us. Jesus made that clear, didn't he, his parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, love for neighbor means loving those that we come across, whoever they are and however they behave. You see, even in the Old Testament, God's people were never allowed to act violently to oppress people to gain their own power. They were occasionally employed by God as agents of God's righteous justice. And by the way, he also employed other nations against Israel as agents of his righteous justice against them as well. Now, this is not about nation states, about countries, but about personal matters of offense. So instead of hating an enemy, what do you do? You, you, you love them, don't you? And by the way, that immediately means that love is not a feeling, isn't it? It's not a feeling. If you have an enemy, they don't like you, and probably you don't like them. But you're still to love them. Love is defined by Jesus here as beyond merely mutual approval if you are to love your enemy. You're to love them. And how are you to act instead? You're to pray for them. Now, my friends, that doesn't mean praying against them. You know, dear God, I'm thinking of so-and-so. Will you please sort him out? Now, if there's someone like that in your life, you may want to pray a few imprecatory psalms against them. Perhaps pray some of those psalms that uh, seem like they're rather filled with anger. But as you pray those, you'll be led to love. In other words, you're praying for God's best for them. Why? Well, that's what God is like. Sun rises on the evil and the good, the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous, the just and the unjust. Let me put it like this. God is profligate in his favors, undiscerning in his creation blessings. How different is the God of the pagans who is vindictive? How different is the philosophy of the tax collectors, which is a mutual appreciation society? You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, we have a deal. But we who follow God are to be like God in this regard, that is, stooping to love enemies, to seek their spiritual best. Why? Because that's the nature of the Heavenly Father. I'm told that... Um, the North American common porcupine has about 30,000 quills attached to its body. Each quill can be driven into an enemy, and the wounds can fester, and even, in fact, uh, when it's uh, particularly dangerous, it can be fatal 
to predators. Well, porcupines have two methods for handling interpersonal relationships. Withdrawal or attack. They either head for a tree or they stick out their quills. Porcupine behavior, what does that lead to? It leads to painful relationships. How different is Jesus' teaching? Martin Luther King uh, reflected famously on these very words when he was in jail. He wrote a a very well-known passage about this where he said, Hate multiplies hate in a descending spiral of violence and is just as injurious to the person who hates as to his victim. We're to be beyond retaliation. Now, that's more than just passive non-resistance. It's even more than civil disobedience or even more than Gandhi's satyagraha, which which means truth force, his philosophy. Jesus here is talking about love force, love in action. And that's the challenge to us, isn't it? And so often we replace it with rather subtle forms of hate, with uh, derision. The director, Billy Wilder, was asked once what he thought of a new film. To give you an idea, he said, the film started at 8 o'clock. I looked at my watch at midnight, and it was only 8.15. We replace love with unfair criticism. The drama critic Clive Barnes uh, had one word review of a play in London uh, called The Cupboard, and he said it was bare, empty. We replace love with disdain. The conductor, St. Thomas Beecham, during rehearsal of Vaughan Williams' symphony, he wasn't a fan of Vaughan Williams. He, he seemed to be doing little more than listlessly beating time, and he was still beating time after the orchestra had stopped. And he asked, uh, why aren't you playing the first to the first violinist? And he said, it's finished, Sir Thomas. And he looked down at his score and said, oh, so it is. Derision, unfair criticism, disdain, all hate in the vernacular of polite society. We're not to be like that as Christians, are we? And it's very important that we're not. It has serious results. Uh, Vicki Price, who is uh, the wife of a politician in Europe, is seeking revenge against her husband for the affair that he has had. But in doing so, she's revealed that uh, her husband uh, was involved in some criminal activity of a fairly mild kind, but in doing so, she also revealed her part in that same criminal activity and has been convicted of the crime of averting the course of justice. Her desire for revenge has become her own undoing. Similarly, the Baoshoi ballet soloists and two other men have recently been, uh, uh, have confessed to their involvement uh, in being involved in an acid attack on the company's artistic director as a result of an escalating feud. We're not to be like that. We're to be beyond retaliation, to love. Now you say, how does that work practically? What it means practically is you and I in the family of the church are to take the great risk of loving those that perhaps we don't like. Actually praying for those that uh, we find difficult. Uh, getting involved uh, with uh, people across all age ranges and cultural spectrums in the church with a small group, one of the small groups that uh, Pastor Stephen Lee is uh, being involved in, 
initiating and relaunching come the fall. But even more than that, this is why as Christians we confront injustice. It's why we confront the global human trafficking trade. We love, we're love in action. It doesn't just mean loving our neighbor and those who is the person who's neighborly towards us, understanding that phrase, but the person who really annoys you at work. Look at uh, Paul's uh, great teaching on this in Romans, Romans chapter 12. You turn with me in your Bibles there. Romans chapter 12 and uh, verse 19. He says, uh, don't take revenge, my friends. Leave room for God's wrath. See, we're not playing the judge, it's God. For it is written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says, uh, says God, the Lord says. Well, how then are we to act if we're not to retaliate? Well, we act to it beyond retaliation. On the contrary, and then he quotes from the Old Testament. This teaching goes right across Scripture. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. You're taking the higher ground. And so, therefore, don't be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. Love overcomes evil. Love is the path to being, to being perfect. That's what God the Father is like. But who is perfect? Uh, Michael uh, J. Fox said, I'm careful not to confuse excellence with perfection. Excellence I can reach for, perfection is God's business. <laughs> well, fair enough, but what if God wants us to be morally perfect? How are we to do this? How are we to be perfect as the Father God is perfect, as Jesus tells us to be? Well, look with me how this is fulfilled in Luke, Luke's gospel, Luke 23. How are we to love our enemies? How are we to pray for those who persecute us. Luke 23, look down at verse 34. There's Jesus. He's on the cross. He's surrounded by his enemies. And what is Jesus doing? He's praying. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So there he is. All this Sermon on the Mount is actually about Jesus, ultimately. He is the one who loved beyond retaliation perfectly and whose love overcame evil. Instead of hating, he prayed for those who persecuted him. And by faith in Jesus, you can have that perfection, that righteousness, and gradually be changed more and more into his likeness to love beyond retaliation too. This is one of the hallmarks of the cold Christian movement. The early Christians learnt this from Jesus. So come with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7 and uh, verse 59. I'm not just uh, having you turn up a lot of Scriptures this morning to keep you going on Daylight Savings uh, Sunday, but there are a lot of important connections here to make. So Acts chapter 7 verse uh, 59, Stephen is about to be killed for his faith. 
Now, it's a little different, but here is uh, Stephen. And what is Stephen doing? Is he's filled with the Spirit of Christ? Is he acting in revenge? No. Verse 59, he is praying. Well, Jesus received my spirit. So if you're tempted to hate your enemy, Jesus says, pray. Pray for them. And this actually was one of the hallmarks, I say, of the Christian movement. So the early church leader, Tertullian, said this, that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. This is beyond retaliation. This is beyond merely human morality, beyond merely human religion. This is the power of Christ by His Spirit that leads people to Jesus. I want you to remember this next time someone attacks you. Next time someone opposes you, next time you're faced with an enemy, remember. Remember that the most excellent way is love beyond retaliation. Remember that Christ perfectly fulfilled that so that when you fail, and we all do, His perfection, if you trust Him, is yours. And then remember that by His Spirit and because of that uh, state that you have in Christ, remember that uh, this then is the path that we may tread in His power and by His Spirit. That is to return blessings for curses, to return love for hate, to return kindness for malice, to return food for poison, to return a drink of water in Christ's name for a spit in the face. It's not passive, and it's not pathetic. It does not ignore the realities of the wrath of God to come, of justice and of the evil of evil. It is passion, suffering at the cross, and pathos, love, bearing evil. It is love like a father sending a son to rescue us. Let's pray together. Father God, we uh, thank you for uh, this teaching in your word about uh, what it means to love and how that is the, the key to interact with a secular culture that is not always friendly to Christian values. That is the way that the Father acts to redeem his enemies by sending his son. We pray, Father, that we might be increasingly like that and so be a part of a movement that is changing the world. Father, none of us are perfect in this regard. And so we thank you that in Christ we have his full righteousness the one who uh, prayed for those who are persecuting them, him and took their, uh, their evil in his death on the cross. And so we pray that by his Spirit we might increasingly uh, live that way, to, to love even those that we uh, perhaps do not like, uh, to pray for those uh, even who persecute us or oppose us act in a way that is uh, following the divine love 
found ultimately in Jesus. For we pray this in his name. Amen.